a minute. You know that uh, worship and prayer takes place everywhere in this building, even in the men's washroom. I was in there early in the first service, and all of a sudden I heard this guy just lifting his voice to God, saying, Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place. And I'm thinking, you're in the bathroom. <laughs> but how many know God hears our prayer? No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, he hears our prayer. And so this morning we're going to talk about expectancy again as we finish off the month of September. And as Pastor Lori said, we lean into the next month. We talk about generosity. But today, expectancy on the basis of walking in humility and serving the purposes of the Lord through our life. So I want you, if you have your Bible, put it in your hand. If you don't, put your smartphone in your hand. If you can't, put your hand over your heart. And Father, this morning, I want to say thank you that this is my Bible, that I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. And I'm ready this morning to receive into my heart the ever-living, everlasting, incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Now, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart about expectancy, humility, and servanthood. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I just want to warn you before I begin today that I was born before being politically correct. So that means sometimes the message is a little bit different. I love what Pastor Jason's doing with values because values are so critical. They really ask the question, what's important to us as a community and then what's important to us as individuals? We've been focusing on expectancy. And that is this atmosphere that's around our hearts and our lives where it's not que sera, sera, but it's faith in God to do something in situations and circumstances. In week one, we were expectant in Jesus. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Week two, we were expectant in worship, knowing that the Father seeks those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And week three, we talked about expectancy in growth as he conforms us to the character of his son, Jesus, every single day and through every circumstances. So today we're going to look at expectancy and humility, and we're going to look at the, the model of Jesus in servant leadership. And just before we do that, I want you to know that the Bible is one story from beginning to end from how it started, how it ends, and all the points in between. This Bible helps us understand what it is that God's intent is in the earth, what he's doing, and where this journey is going for all of us. And the Jewish people from Genesis to Malachi were one of the witnesses into the world. And he told them in Leviticus 23 that there's some feasts that he wants them to celebrate every single year, spring feasts and then fall feasts. The spring ones of Passover, first fruits, and Pentecost, Jesus has already fulfilled those in his death, resurrection, 
and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How many know that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came? How many know that? And he hasn't left. He's present with us all the time. So when we are expectant, what we're really saying is, Lord, let the atmosphere of your, pre- your presence permeate us every time we gather. Let us come expecting you to do in our midst what we can't do for ourselves. How I many know oh, you can't heal yourself? You can't set yourself free. You can't break addictions on your own. There is something about the work of the Holy Spirit that can do in an instant what would take us a lifetime even just to begin to process. And so between the spring feast that I just mentioned and the fall feast, there's a gap in between. And so in between the closing of the book of Malachi until the opening of the book of Matthew, there's a gap in there between what was a witness in the world to what is about to become another witness in the world. And these fall feasts are called Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and tabernacles. Rosh Hashanah begins tonight for Jews all over the world. And it's a wonderful feast. It's a time for them to blow a trumpet and call the people and assemble together and make a memorial to what it is that God is calling us to do. And it's the beginning of 10 days in preparation for Yom Kippur where their hearts are rended so that they can begin to say, Lord, This coming year, I want to live differently than I did last year. And so in the days of Jesus, we often read about uh, the people going out into the wilderness to be baptized in water or to go into the mikvah on behalf of their desire to repent, their desire to be restored to God and to walk right before him. And so in preparation for the fall feast, this was a very solemn time in the midst of Israel. And these fall feasts are unfulfilled. They have not been fulfilled yet. And so when we look at them, there's something about the blowing of the trumpets, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Then there is something about the atonement, which meant the lamb was slain for the whole of the nation, and the nation before God could celebrate being forgiven. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is where we're all going, to tabernacle with God forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. So these natural examples are of spiritual truths. They are moments that prepare our heart for what it is that God's going to do. And when the trumpet would sound on the fall feast of uh, Rosh Hashanah, what it did was it caused the people to listen and then to apply what it is that they knew about Rosh Hashanah, the preparation of their hearts. When you look in Numbers chapter 10, God told Moses to make two trumpets and to make them of silver. Whenever something's made of silver, it's not gold, so it's not the highest. So when you think of the Jews and you think of the church, how many know we're not perfect yet? And we stumble and we do things that sometimes cause a reproach. But it's showing that there's a limitation that we have. But the trumpet was meant to call God's people to direct them. And ultimately, this natural example of a spiritual truth is how God then speaks to our heart by the Holy Spirit. When the trumpet goes off in your heart, 
when Holy Spirit begins to speak to your life, you start to say, Lord, what it is that you're asking me to do, I'm willing to do it, and then he begins to direct your steps. I mentioned in the first service that when Joyce and I were called into ministry many years ago, we had no idea what we were doing. And here we are 40 years later, and we still don't know what we're doing. But there is something about the faithfulness of God every single day to say, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. I don't have it all figured out, but when that trumpet sound goes off in Israel, they respond to you. And when your word goes off in my heart, I want to respond to you. And so he would direct our steps for 40 plus years now, and he's faithful to do it. Every single day, if you say, Lord, I'm expecting you to move in my heart and my life, he will. And so in Matthew 24, the disciples really want to understand what's going to take place in the future. They know what the feasts are all about, and now they're curious, and Jesus says to them, well, I just want you to know there's going to be worldwide spiritual deception. There's going to be wars, all kinds of wars. And there's going to be climate change, duh. There's going to be persecution, betrayal, lawlessness, and even death to those who follow me. Now keep in mind, if you're a Jew, it's called anti-Semitism. If you're a Christian, you are considered part of the biblical people, and persecution follows us as well. If you don't think that's a reality in our generation, you're not reading the signs very well. Our culture is not very happy with what the church proclaims. Why? Because the world's going in this direction, the church is going in this direction. We speak from two different vantage points. One is natural, behavioral. The other is supernatural and spiritual. So when you come into the house of the Lord and we're talking on a Sunday morning, if you don't know the Lord, sometimes the language is pretty hard to grasp. If you know the Lord, you go, oh, that's familiar. I understand that. And for those of you that have read God's word and it stirs in your heart, the things that we say every Sunday simply confirm the sound of the trumpet in your own heart and what it is God is doing to lead you. In Isaiah 43, this is the witness that Israel is to the Lord. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Now you think of the Old Testament, hundreds of scriptures pointing to the first coming of the Messiah in Jesus Christ. Even the city he would born in, that he'd be born to a virgin. All of those dynamics are there. So the Jewish people became a witness. It's been said many, many, many times. How do you know there's a God? One word, Israel. It didn't exist. Its language was dead. It was banished to the nations of the earth. And the Lord promised in Ezekiel and other places, he would call them back from all the nations of the earth and put them back in their own land, a land that he promised to Abraham years ago. How many know God keeps his promises? What we don't always understand is the timing. But he promises, he delivers. He's faithful, he's truthful. And so when he makes a promise, it is going to be fulfilled in due season. And that's the Jews. And in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when God speaks to the people, he says this word, you will be my witnesses, talking to the church now, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. One trumpet, silver trumpet, Israel, 
one silver trumpet, the church. Two witnesses in the world running simultaneously. How many know God made a promise, all Israel will be saved? Zechariah says that the Jews will look on the one in whom they've pierced, and then they will believe. And there'll be one witness in the earth, the people of God. And so you and I are living in that kind of a prophetic time. And it begins tonight. The fall festival begins tonight of Rosh Hashanah. And so I just want you to, in your heart, say, Lord, I want to live prepared. I want to live expectant. I want to live anticipating the blowing of the shofar in my heart to say, Lord, you can speak to me. I'm listening and you can direct my steps. So this week, as we look at expectancy in humility, we're going to see a model of servant leadership in the life and the ministry of the one that we follow in this life and we will follow into eternity. And his name is Jesus. There's only a couple of answers to every question we ask. It's either Jesus, Bible, Holy Spirit. All right, there's no other answers to the questions. Uh, we're trusting today that the moving of the Holy Spirit will be in our midst. We were just singing, show us your glory. Do you know how to see the glory of God? Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the manifest glory of God in the earth. And he's the beginning, the firstborn of many brethren and sisters too, all right? He's the firstborn. There's a new race in the midst of the human race, and it's you and I, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and becoming like Jesus in everything that we do. And so we're choosing to engage today with hungry and humble hearts, expecting the Holy Spirit to activate the present-day ministry of Jesus in our midst. How many know when you're sick, you really need healing? When you're broken, you need mending. When you're going through troubles in your life, you need someone to still the troubles. When you're confused, you need clarity. In other words, all of us are going through things in our hearts and in our lives. I think of the report we read yesterday of another police officer in our community that took his own life. In his 30s, young, has a baby nine months old. We don't know the issues that are going on in people's hearts, even though on the outside they can look like they got it all together, but on the inside they're crumbling. And so there is something about our sensitivity to what God is doing in the present-day ministry of Jesus is that he is present to touch your life wherever you need it and to bring healing and ministry to you. So our operative value today is expectancy in the spirit of humility. And where, what, where do we need humility most? Well, by taking God at his word. If we think we know better than God, that's called pride. If we submit to God, that's called humility. In fact, James says it this way. God opposes, everybody say opposes, the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Aren't you glad it's not politically correct? Aren't you glad he speaks direct to your heart and my heart? Because I might be in a situation saying, well, Lord, I'm not double-minded. He said, well, why have you got two options on the table? Why don't you see what my word says about that and agree with me? There's just something sometimes about our humanity that we do need a slap up the side of the head. 
And it's very helpful. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What a promise. It's sobering that the God of heaven, the one that we call our Father, when I operate in pride, still loves me as his son, but out of that love he opposes me. He puts up stop signs. He opposes my movement, my decisions, what I'm trying to do, where I'm trying to go. He opposes the current path my life is on and heading in. Divine stop signs start to appear. And when that happens, it's important for me to listen to the alarm bells that are going off in my spirit. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons and daughters of God. There is something about, it's not just living by a principle, it's living out of relationship with the one who loves you, with the one who gave his life for you. And so we want to know, how do I then, Lord, humble myself before you in your presence? Do I get down on the carpet on my face? Do I kneel? What do I do? It's an action of the heart. To say, Lord, I repent of my pride. I repent of thinking that I know it all and I know it better than you. And you open your heart to him and you say, Lord, guide my steps. Help me in this. And he does. There's a story in John chapter 13 where Jesus is going to do something with his disciples because he wants to leave an impression. He wants to leave a visual. He wants to leave something for them that they will never, ever forget because along the three years, the 30,000 hours he has spent with them, they've been just like us. They've been doing dumb stuff. And he wants to course correct them. And let's look at the story. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and then to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Isn't that Peter? And Jesus said to him, I don't wash you, you'll have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head too. Like, do it all. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed doesn't need to be washed. You're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Now think about it. These are men that have traveled with him for over three years. They have been with him day in and day out. They have watched him. They have heard him. They have worked with him. They have served him. They've done everything he's asked them to do. But he knows that until their hearts are changed, the propensity for them to be full of pride is present. And so he says when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, it was a place of honor in the room, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? 
And I can imagine the look on their faces at that moment. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, there are denominations that have foot washing ceremonies all the time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an attitude of the heart. He's talking about a leadership model that is at work inside of you as a value that affects you every single day of your life as an ambassador of his, as a representative wherever you go. This can be described basically as a king who leads with a towel, something that just seems absurd. What's the backstory of this feast of Passover that they're celebrating, this last time they're gathering? Millions of pilgrims are in Jerusalem. They're there to celebrate the most important feast in Judaism. They hear that Jesus is coming, so they gather on the roads to meet him and shout, Hosanna. They thought their conquering king had finally come to rule, to reign, and to replace the Romans. But the father had a plan that he set in motion that was about leadership, was about servanthood, was about expectancy, was about the value of humility. And Jesus does the will of the Father by leading at this moment in history with a towel. Now the roads are dusty, the roads are dirty, if it's raining they're muddy. Animals use the same roads as people, and animals don't stop to go to the bathroom. They just keep doing what they do as they're moving along. So crowds of disciples don't often see what's on the ground. And they're wearing sandals and their feet are exposed. So you can imagine how filthy their feet were as they're making their way to the upper room. Inside the doorway of this rented upper room would always be a vat full of water and a bowl along with a towel. And that was for the servant of the house to wash the feet of those who came in so they could recline. They don't sit like we do. They recline with their feet behind them on the floor, leaning on one side and then dipping their hands in the pita bread and in all the food that's on the table. So it's this last Passover meal he's going to have with the disciples, and the towel sat unused, the basin sat unused, the water was still in the pot, and how many know he had talked to them about servanthood for three years? But they're expecting someone else to do it. And Jesus is sitting in there, they don't see the need, he sees it, and when supper is almost over, he grabs the basin, fills the bowl up, goes around, and he starts washing their feet. It is a humbling moment for them. But I don't want you to ever forget the image of Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, in which everything is sustained by him, gets down on his knees and begins to wash their filthy, filthy feet. What are the disciples doing? They're thinking about their positions of authority in the kingdom. They're thinking of the title they're going to have, minister of. 
And Jesus is only thinking about serving them. How many know a trumpet went off in Jesus' heart, led by the Holy Spirit, to wash the disciples' feet? And Jesus didn't think it was above him. He chose to wash their feet. He could have resisted, but he didn't. Sometimes when we're serving people, things happen and we feel like we've been taken advantage of. Jesus was never taken advantage of. Why? Because he was always the one being led by the Spirit, trusting in the will of the Father, ticking off those things that the Father required him to do that day. That's an example of how much his love relationship with the Father was activated every single day. That's expectancy in him to proclaim the love of the Father in the midst of the brokenness of the society to which he had come. And so, being the King of kings and Lord of lords, he demonstrates humility and he demonstrates servant leadership. It's never about power, position, or influence in the kingdom. The world runs after all of those things. And that's why it's difficult sometimes for us to begin to understand what it is to lead in the things of God, in the kingdom of God. And here's what the Bible says in 1 John 2. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So you have a natural, cultural context in which all of us come out of, and then we have a spiritual kingdom that we live in. And how many know the transition from one to the other is a challenge? But when you've made the commitment to say, I will follow Jesus all the days of my life, That value sets in motion in your heart what's important to you. And as you're reading God's word and as you're opening his word and it's renewing your mind, Holy Spirit is reminding you of the values of the kingdom of God and that's where you're to set your heart and your intentions. And so in pride, we say, well, I'll close the book because I know better than God. In humility, we say, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. And he protects you and guides you and moves you forward. So, what does Jesus do? Well, takes a towel. And he puts it over his arm, and he gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, between their toes is stuff. And he's not offended by the stuff. What are the things between your toes in life? Oh, Jesus, you could never go there. Yeah, he will. And he washes their feet, and they're filthy, and they're dirty. He could have said to them, how long do I have to be with you dumbos? 30,000 hours, and you still can't figure it out? No, he doesn't do that. Why? Because he knows our flesh. He knows how fallen we are. He knows that our perspective isn't the best at all. So he knows that Pentecost is going to come after he goes to the cross. Holy Spirit's going to fill their hearts and lives, and now they're going to live the way he's living, totally different. And so he takes the towel. He's a carrier of the heart of heaven, and he begins to minister life to them. And I could just imagine as he goes from disciple to disciple, the conviction is growing stronger. The tears are starting to flow. 
the sense of, oh God, your King of Kings, Lord of Lord. Peter's heart is, I should be washing your feet, not you washing my feet. And yet Jesus chooses to do that because he's setting an example for them that will be like a tattoo in their heart. They will never forget this moment in their journey again. Prophetically, when you understand, it reminds them of the whole journey that Jesus has made from the pristine, holy presence of the Father in heaven into the filthy, sin-filled, sick world. And ultimately, he will do the work he's called to do, wash our feet, and then go back to the Father. He lays aside his garments that night just the same as he laid aside the garments of glory he had with his Father in heaven and all the privileges he enjoyed as the Son of God. He washes men's feet, a menial act of service. Could I remind you that when you give a cup of cold water, when you encourage someone, when you bless someone, when you say something nice to someone, it's never menial? You never know where a person's at, and if you say something to them kind, led by the Spirit, can change everything in a moment in a person's life. How many believe that everybody's going through something in their life? And so we need kindness. We need acts of service. We need those kinds of things, and sometimes we don't know where they're going to come from, and God has some surprises. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you get ready to go out and you say, Lord, here I am. Use me today. I want you to see this image in your heart that you've got a towel over your arm. You're a carrier of the heart of God and you're there to minister life to the needs of people around you. And it doesn't matter how menial it seems that you are going to do what needs to be done. Jesus not only washes their feet, But just in a few short hours, he's going to die the death of a criminal on a cross in absolute innocence, guilty of nothing, and yet hangs on a cross. Why? Because of his love for the Father. And his love for the Father put Jesus on the cross so that you and I could be in Father's presence. Makes all the difference. I'm grateful that Jesus served that way. When Jesus finished washing their feet, he took up his garments, returned to his seat of honor, just as he was taken up from the grave and seated with the Father. He constantly leads with a towel. Servant leadership is never about positional power. Kings don't wash people's feet. That's beneath their dignity. However, humility is a kingdom value that is in a contrast to the leadership values that are outside the kingdom. Jesus speaks a clear message about leadership. He says this in Matthew 20. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter would have seen it normal to wash the feet of Jesus, but Jesus did the reverse. How often are we like Peter, holding the view that somehow God is the one that needs to be served? How many know God doesn't need anything? He is sufficient in himself. So he has chosen 
in the person of his son to set an example for us that he has come to serve us. He has come to minister to us. He has come to cleanse us. He has come to restore us, to heal us. In the last service, there was a gentleman here in the congregations in his 50s battling cancer and went over with the towel and I just laid my hands on him and prayed for him. And really what I'm saying is, Jesus, healing is the children's bread. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus, I can't control this. This isn't up to me. But what is up to me is to serve my brother in need right now and to minister life to him and to pray your promises over his life and not to strive, but let Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in my brother's heart and in my brother's life. And to lay hands in faith believing and have expectancy in my heart that God will do things. But not to do it in arrogance, but to do it in humility. Not to do it in pride, thinking I know everything, but leave that up to God. But to hear my brother hear me say how much Jesus loves him, cares for him, understands what he's going through. And watching the tears come down his face and tears come down his wife's face. Because they're facing a huge mountain in their life. How many know they need to hear that they don't have to jump through any hoops. That Jesus has come to minister life to them. He's come to touch their hearts at the moment of our lead. So Peter would see it normal to do what he was having done to him and struggled with it. But ultimately, you and I have to recognize that the story of Christianity from Matthew to Revelation is a God who comes into the world to bring light in the darkness and to bring healing and power and anointing and all of those things to create a new race of people that will magnify Jesus in the earth. So we need to lead our lives with a towel. Let me finish with this. I'm a husband to one wife named Joyce, even though I married her twice. She is one of the greatest servant leaders I've ever known. No matter what she was asked to do for 35 years, she did it. And most of the time, she was way ahead of the curve, didn't have to be asked. As a father, I'm to wash the feet of my children, Kim and Jason, along with their spouses, Stefan and Lori, all four of them are incredible servant leaders. I'm so proud of them. As a grandfather, I'm to wash the feet of my seven grandchildren, Tristan, Ryan, Grace, Treff, Parker, Emma, Allie, and even sometimes the Bulldog Dave. <laughs> now, is Joyce perfect? No. Are my kids perfect? No. Their spouses? No. My grandkids? No. Were the disciples perfect? No. But what did Jesus choose to do? To minister to them. To take the heart of the Father and lavish their lives with his love. 